Amen. Thank you, buddy. Ditto. I love this guy. Don't you love him? What a great canvas pastor. One of the most wonderful parts of my ministry life has been to get to know Will. And uh, you don't know how much a part he's played, not only in the starting of this congregation, but in the starting of other congregations that, we're, that we'll be doing as well. So we've been, a, we've been um, Butch and Sundance, Batman and Robin, I don't know, Mutt and Jeff I, uh, together, and, and it means a lot to me. So thanks, buddy. Thank you very much. Uh, the word of the day is the word neighbor. Take a look at the title I gave to this message. <laughs> Good, we got last the first service too, because you know that phrase, don't you? Would you be my neighbor? But long before Mr. Rogers ever talked about it, Jesus did. A group of people, especially religious scholars, approached Jesus, and one of them said, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus, in his response to this religious scholar, he said, will you love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength? And then he said, and... You love your neighbor as yourself. Then the scholar, you know, kind of wanting to get debate going and such, religious intellectual, he goes, well, the, who is my neighbor? And Jesus takes that word neighbor and he opens it up with rich depth in, in the story we call the story of, of the Good Samaritan and what it is is somebody is in deep danger, could be killed, they were robbed on the road, and the one that comes to care for the person who is near death on the road is the least likely person you'd ever imagine, and yet he saves him. And, and when Jesus finishes the story, he says to the religious scholar, he says, of the different people that passed by and didn't help this guy and the one who did, which one was right? And he said, I guess it's the one who showed mercy to the person in need. And Jesus goes, right, now you go and you be like that. In other words, forget your intellectual querying about what is a neighbor. A neighbor is anybody who's in need that we are in proximate relationship with. Go help them. That's where Jesus does it. So it's no wonder that in the uh, late 20th century, a guy by the name of Mr. Rogers, how many of you have ever heard of Mr. Rogers? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is the one. Now, incidentally, Mr. Rogers, who began his program, which was called Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. Neighborhood. Right, right. How many of you watched that? Sure. You know, I learned something. Mr. Rogers, first of all, he was an ordained minister of Jesus Christ. And then he goes back to school and does a special degree in childhood development. And he decides he's going to give his life to helping children understand what it is to be a neighbor. Gives his life to that. He starts it in 1968 during the height of the Vietnam War controversy and the countercultural movement. And his show runs for 38 years. And it ends 10 days before 9-11 in the year 2001. 38. So boomers through mid-millennials grew up learning about Jesus' concept of neighbor through the guy called Mr. Rogers. 
He says some wonderful things about it. In fact, every time he would start his show, it would start this way. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Uh, some of you know this. You should just sing it with me. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in the beauty wood. A neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. Always wanted to live in the neighborhood with you. So, and then he'd slow it down. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Yeah. This need to be a neighbor is great in us. It's almost like God carved it into us that we're supposed to care for those that are around us. Well, if that be the case, let's talk about who is our neighbor. Uh, who is our neighbor? And for this, uh, I want you to know Will and I did some research a few weeks ago, and we just took a look at all of DuPage County in southwestern Cook County, because that's kind of our area. We figure 30 minutes from any Wheaton Bible Church congregation, wherever we are, is our neighborhood. And we found that there are 1.1 million people in our neighborhood. Okay, 1.1 million. And in fact, we're going to put something up on the screen for you here. So 1.1 million. And then we thought, well, how many of them need us to be God's neighbors to them? To be God's neighbors in the way that Mr. Rogers taught children. Jesus teaches us to be that way. And, and, and we found out that if we took the whole county and Southwest Cook and we added it all together and we said, how many people aren't involved with God's people in a local church or are not born again Christians? And the answer we came up with is somewhere between 900,000 and 1 million people. 1.1 million people total. And we estimate that 95 out of every 100 don't yet know what it is to be loved by God and know Jesus Christ. So we see this as our neighborhood, don't we, Will? And you say, how well is the church doing? Well, 5%. <laughs> One out of 20 people. I guess we're not done yet. Right? That's what Will says to you every week. We're not done yet. And then Lon always adds, we ain't even begun. We've only started. And, and say, well, but what's that little bitty red line? You can barely see it. Very little. Running right up there next to the zero percent. What Will did is he calculated all this stuff and then hit the button to say, what percentage is Wheaton Bible Church and its campuses? And we're pretty big. We're one of the largest church units in, in the area, you know, uh, uh, 4,000 people on a given Sunday between our campuses. <laughs> uh, the impact we're making is 0%. Yeah. There's a whole lot of people out there that need God's neighbors to reach out to them, isn't there? Another way to look at it is who the people are. About 70% of those people are what we call early immigrants. 
There's early immigrants and there's late immigrants. Anyone who lives in America is an immigrant. It's just whether you were an early immigrant, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten generations ago, or whether you're a late immigrant, first or second generation. We're all immigrants. Okay? About 70% of us are early immigrants. We came from Europe or from uh, Russia or the Caucasus areas. We call it Anglos, Caucasians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. About 70%. But 30% are people of different ethnicities than the, than the European version. Different color, skin color, different ethnic uh, things that they enjoy. 70-30, 70-30. That's how it goes. In fact, at the end of my message today, I'm going to invite somebody up who's a very late immigrant. In fact, he's just come to us from Syria. And he was a Muslim and has converted to Jesus Christ. You're going to hear from him in a few minutes. All right? But that's who it is. 70% white-faced peoples. 30% other ethnicities and races, all loved by God, all desperately needing the neighborliness of God's people to reach out to them. So we have an exciting challenge ahead of us. At the end of the day, however, numbers and pie charts don't mean anything. Uh, these people are, are the neighbors that live next door who have a dog that barks far too long into the night. They are the person who cuts our hair. They are the person in the next cubicle to ours. They are the barista at the Starbucks that we always go to, understanding that coffee is a sacrament from God. Uh, they, they are at the Aldi checkout stand and, and, and are the fastest uh, checkers in the world. In fact, Marie and I, we were filling our hunger box uh, yesterday. And we got to talking to the young woman, and she could barely help us. But they're not only the fastest checker-outers in Aldi I've ever seen in my life. They're trained to do that. They can keep up a conversation with you while they're doing it. Pretty astounding human beings. It's the Girl Scout that knocks on your door, uh, and, and even when you don't want their cookies, you always end up with them. Uh, and now it's the Boy Scouts with their popcorn. Or it's the Pop Warner football team selling restaurant discounts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the people of our lives. And every one of them, 9.5 out of 10 of them, we estimate, don't know Jesus Christ in our area. Oh, my goodness. Well, how are we going to reach them? We're going to reach them by being neighborly. And how do we be neighborly? We strategically have chosen three words in our, in our congregations to define how we are neighborly. And we, the three words are prayer, care, and share. God's neighbors live lives of prayer, care, and share. You heard stuff that the church is doing. All these wonderful programs, even more expanded here, should you want them. Uh, in fact, tonight there's a wonderful one on refugees in our world that we're going to be doing at the West Chicago campus. But much more importantly than what the church is doing is what each of us is committed to doing in our individual lives, to pray for people, to care for people, and to share with people. That's what the scripture I'm going to teach on is all about today. So if you would, please open your Bibles or turn them on to Colossians chapter 2. 4 through 6. Colossians 2, 4 through 6. Would you be my neighbor? 
All right, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Let me read it for us. It's also on the screen. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains. Pray that we may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'm going to expose that passage. That's what we call expositional preaching, to expose the meaning of the text with God's help. So you should be praying for me right now. Um, And you say, well, Lon, how do you see those three strategies of prayer, care, and share so clearly there? Well, let's start with the first verse. Uh, Number two, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and being thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. He was in prison when he wrote this. Pray that we may proclaim it clearly as we should. So you see the word prayer used numerous times. But it starts with devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, It means to give constant attention to prayer. And then look at the two modifiers it, it uses, being watchful and being thankful. What does it mean to be watchful in prayer? Well, it's pretty simple. It means you're always looking about for what needs prayer. You see, if you know Jesus Christ, if he lives in your heart, if you've been born again, then you have a connection with God that 95 out of 100 people in our area don't have. And that means we are on constant assignments to what we see and what we hear. And we communicate it up to God. Why? Because we know that God is needed everywhere. Anything that concerns you concerns God. Anything that concerns another person concerns God. And so that's why the Bible teaches us to be devoted to prayer. St. Paul later will say, pray without ceasing. It's just kind of a constant dialogue that is going on between us and God. When I was driving here this morning, um, about, what, 8.30, and I went past this, it appears to be a senior citizen's home uh, on the road just a couple blocks from here. And peripherally, I see uh, lights flashing. And then I look over while I'm driving, and of course, it's an ambulance, and there was an emergency going on there. I don't know anybody that lives there. I don't know what the situation was, but God was calling me to pray right then for whoever was in need, Lord, minister to them. Give the first responders everything that they need. Be there, God. Wherever we are, God is. And wherever we are, God wants to work, and he has mysteriously chosen prayer to be a vehicle through which his people go up to him, and then he comes down. You see it happening all the time. Late last night, and then early this morning, one of my own team members was really on my heart. His name is Bill Oberlin. If you were here last week, you met him. Will did a wonderful interview with Bill. He's over all of our global missions. 
And, and, and so I'd been praying for him more anyway because he's got a huge week ahead of him. Our mission starts today and through next Sunday and tons of stuff are going on. But it was more than that, and I didn't know why, but I was pricked in my spirit. And I prayed for him at night. I prayed for him in the middle of the night when I woke up. And then this morning I prayed for him, and then I look at my device, and I've got a note from him that came after I'd gone to bed last night. And it, it was a note saying that they're, they're in the middle of another family crisis with one of their children. I suddenly understood, first of all, that the days are evil and, and the evil one seeks to always dislodge God's people. And then knowing all that Bill has in front of him. So no wonder God had said to me, last yesterday pray, late in the night, in the middle of the night pray, pray in the morning. Devote yourselves to prayer. And especially, as it has to do, look at Paul as he goes on here in verse 3, especially that doors will be open for the message sharing Christ. Prayer care, share. That doors will open. You know, what, you know what a door closed is, right? You want to talk to somebody, they don't want to talk to you about it. An open door is they do. Pretty simple. Paul says, just be praying for open doors to be able to talk to people about him. And pray that, he, that he's able to give the gospel clearly. Now, just a quick aside here. Look in that um, third verse. He says that a door will open for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Do you see that? So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. The word mystery is one of the most wonderful words in the New Testament. It, it, it's, it literally means that something that cannot ever be fully understood. It's so gargantuan. It's used at least nine times, always referring to something different. The mystery of God, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. Uh, the, 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 I could go on and on. The mystery of godliness, the mystery of the church, the mystery of faith. There's at least nine uh, uh, allusions to this. But this one's Christ. And I thought, so what is the mystery of Christ? Well, think about it. The incarnation. God becoming a human being? Who can wrap their head around that? Not only how did he do it, but why would he do that? You know, would I want to become an ant? Why did God do that? That's a mystery. The cross, Jesus hanging on the cross. Jesus killed by humans. How and why would God allow himself to be killed by humans? God, human. What's that about? Part of its mystery. We can't ever get to the bottom of it. The resurrection. God literally stops the natural laws operating in his universe and takes someone who's completely dead and raises them to new life. So when Paul says, the mystery of Christ... Whoa, it's much bigger than we can understand. But not only that, the effect of the incarnation of the cross and of the re resurrection. Incidentally, you're getting some dense theology here in about three minutes. So hang on to this stuff. It's pretty good. When God showed it to me, I said, pretty good, God. All right. Number one, those acts result in the potential of the forgiveness of sins, of all sins, past, present, and future. 
Christ's death and resurrection accomplished that. <gasps> Those acts of incarnation, cross, and resurrection make it so that we can be in union, personal relationship with God now. What's that all about? And finally, that we're given the gift of eternal life because of those things he did. Do you see why Paul uses the term, the mystery of Christ? It's magnificent. So he says, pray that doors are opened and then pray that we can give it clearly. <laughs> it's the same prayer for us. And then he goes on. He goes on. Doors open for witness. And, and, he, and then he moves from there. So that's the prayer part. And then toward the end of, actually starting of verse 5, he says, And be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. That's where the care comes in, you guys. You already got the prayer part, right? Now, the care part is be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, the 95 out of 100. Be wise. Be thoughtful. Be prayerful. Why? That we want to display Jesus Christ in our lives to them in any way that we can. So be wise. And make the most of every opportunity you have to display the Christ life. See, you have to be able to speak the Christ life. You have to be able to display the Christ life. And only God in you will help you display the Christ life. But you need to be thinking about it. Ways to display your faith. I know uh, uh, a few months ago we had this thing called CareFest in May. How many of you were involved with us in CareFest? Some of you here? Okay, maybe 20 of us. Uh, we literally had over 1,000 people in, I think, like 50 different locations in our region to bring care uh, everything from painting walls to, to helping uh, elderly people with their gardening and, their in, and, and, and fixing things. And, and we just did all sorts of magnificent stuff. Well, I asked one of my neighbors, because it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and I wanted to ask one of my neighbors if he wanted to do CareFest with us. And he said, sure, I'll do it. He's thinking about Jesus. He's not quite sure where to go with it all yet. But he came along. And I took him to the first site where we were cleaning this very dingy and dirty basement of a church that is being used now as a place where high school kids from West Chicago High School gather every week uh, to learn about God and then also to be helped in tutoring and, and all sorts of things for their academics. And my friend who went with us, he's cleaning the floors and also we were trying to vacuum any old asbestos fibers and stuff. You know, I heard the masks all like this. We were really cool. And, and so we're doing all of that. And, and he's jumping in, and I also make sure he meets the people who run this classroom each week. And, and it's all done through our church <laughs> and through volunteers. We have over about 170 volunteers that help in this one area of West Chicago every week. So he sees it all. Then I take him to another site and the work being done there and trying to fix stuff so that we have a better meeting rooms for people, building tables for students because we have tons and tons of, of, of um, 
uh, kids that, that, that come that are elementary and we're trying to help them with academics and also finding ways to share Jesus. It's like what we're doing with Crossroads here at Tri-Village. Crossroads is this thing where we go to this school in Hanover Park, right, Will? And we've got like 45 to 50 little kids who stay after school and some of you are the leaders of that, volunteers, and we're telling them Jesus stories and such. And we're helping them find Jesus. And then also that's going to display what their needs are in their family systems. And then we'll be helping with that. Well, my neighbor sees all of this and he's blown away. He's literally blown away. I was trying to be wise with an outsider to show him what it looks like when God's people are on the move. I took him to lunch afterwards and I said, well, what did you think? Uh, He says, I... I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen so many people volunteering. I didn't know that things were that bad in our city. But the places where you took me were like a war zone. I go, yeah, that's our town, West Chicago. He goes, wow. He's actually a leader, civic leader in the city. Hadn't seen this stuff. And I said, well, what do you think? What does that say to you about Jesus Christ? He said, I don't know what to do with Jesus Christ. All I know is I've not seen that kind of expression of volunteer love anywhere. Yeah. See, that's care. Loving people beyond the expected. And Christians should be the first to arrive and the last to leave whenever there's need. First to arrive and the last to leave. It displays the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about. Then now, if you go just a little bit further, it also talks about share. Prayer, care, and share. Let, verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So that you may know how to answer everyone. Look at that. Let your conversation... What's, the first, what's, that, what's that say? Well, that means we're, we're constantly getting in conversations about God with people. Let your conversation. And so it's, be always, it says, full of grace. Grace. That's one of our best words, everybody. That's one of our insider words, right? I love grace. The extravagant, never earned, and never ending love of God. Let it be full of grace. Now, Sometimes you define something by what would the opposite be. So what if it said, let your conversation be always full of criticism and hate. Well, that would not glorify God very much, would it? Sometimes Christians can get pretty pessimistic when really we're to be the best optimists in the world because Jesus is in charge of his world and he's good and he's love and he intends to make everything that is wrong right. And we live in a broken world where the days are full of evil, but man, it's not stopping God. And he shows up for us. Let our conversation always be about God's love and the hope that we have in God. That's, that's how we get into conversation with people, full of grace, not criticism and hatred. Telling stories of what God has done in our lives with others. I had a stupid little story happen this week, and my time is still really good, so I can tell you. Uh, uh, but but I, I, I call it God on the move stories. Do you know sometimes the 95 out of 100, remember the chart? 
They just need to know God's real. And so the simplest thing happened to me. Uh, this is what it was. I lost the sermon. This is my sermon. And it's the first time in my life I've ever finished a sermon a week early. But I finished this sermon a week ago Friday. And then I promptly put it someplace and I didn't know where it was. I checked everything at home. Every file, every book I'd used to create the sermon. I, and then I went to work. And, and Donna, who's my assistant, was helping me. We we're looking through files and this and that. And I go, well, maybe here, maybe here. And it's nowhere. And I get my whole team. We got to pray to find this sermon. Why? Because I'm going to Seattle for another meeting. I can't rewrite the sermon. It only means if, if I don't find the sermon, that when I get home, Saturday is my day off. You do know, and I said to the Lord, you want us to keep the Sabbath? Saturday is my Sabbath. <laughs> but if you want me to write a sermon, so I'm going through this whole warfare all week with God. Thursday morning, I'm in Seattle. I'm staying in a courtyard by Marriott. It's about 8 o'clock in the morning. And I move the one chair I have in the room next to the window. I've got my Bible and the sacrament of Starbucks with me. And I'm reading and I'm praying. And I'm actually memorizing Romans 8 during this time. When in my mind, I see a file folder at a certain place in my office where we did not look. I quickly call Chicago. Donna, Donna, Donna. What? Donna. Okay. <laughs> Go into my office. Turn around behind the desk. Lower file cabinet. Left hand file. About one third of the way through. There should be a green file which says DuPage County Statistics. It might be there. I had a vision from God. <laughs> but I wasn't sure. It could have just been indigestion. Sure enough, she's looking through it. I'm sitting there next to the window with my Starbucks, and oh, I hope so. I really don't want to write this. I want to watch, I want to watch college football on my day off. And she goes, no, it's not in that file. I go, oh, but hold it. No, this is just what she did. But hold it, wait a second. Is it, is it, is it, is it, say something about neighbor on it? And I go, yeah. She, well, right behind that file, hold it, hold it, hold it. I said, well, it's 11 and a half by 17. It's like a regular piece of paper, but it's full of whatever. She goes, is, 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 is it look really weird, Lon? <laughs> and, and, and she goes, it's here. <laughs> Golly, jeepers. I believe that God can do anything now. We need those things, don't we? Hey, this is part of let your conversation be always full of grace. Tell the stories of God's small activity in your life. Tell the story of his big activity in your life. Get God onto the front page of your life. And people will be magnetically drawn to it. And his love and his provision. That's what Paul is saying here. Talk about these things. Uh, look, he then goes on and says, think of it like salt, he says. Think of it like salt. So graced with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Salt, flavor, Lowry salt. Any Lowry salt people here? 
Oh, you must write. Yes, I see that hand. Is there another? Yes, I see that hand. Good. Okay, several are just scratching their head. All right. Oh, but boy, when I put Lowry's on fresh oil cooked popcorn, it just don't get any better than that. Salt enhances the flavor of things. Yes. So it enhances the flavor of the gospel when we talk about God's activity in our lives with grace. Salt also, however, at least in those days, was really something that was done to preserve things from decay. So it preserves the world from the impact of sin. God takes care of the sin problem through Jesus Christ, preserves the decay from getting worse and worse and worse. Flavor, decay, love, sin, and what God has done for it. Paul says, let your conversation be always seasoned with grace. Yeah. Prayer. Care. Share. These are the strategies, if you will, of what it means to be a neighbor. Now, you remember how I talked about the neighbors God's bringing to us and that we have the privilege of having what we call a late immigrant, someone who has just arrived and may I say, a formerly Muslim man who has discovered and embraced Jesus Christ with us. Just before the uh, team starts to share with us, guys, would you do something for me now? You were given one of these when you came in this morning. Remember, the way that we become neighbors is through prayer, care, and share. And this is the best way to start. Today, don't go to bed tonight until you've taken this out and wrote down the names of friends you have who need to know God, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, maybe even a stranger or two that you've met that you won't see again, but you want to keep praying for them. What, what we do in our church is every October during Missions Fest, we do this exercise and then I always challenge people, and then tape it right into the inside of your Bible or your prayer notebook so that several times a week you're lifting the names of all these people up to God. I'm absolutely convinced that the reason he is with us in Jesus Christ is that Christians were praying for him by name. Will you do that? That's how you begin neighborliness in our world. So let's just take a couple minutes now and we're going to play softly behind me, guys. Is that what we're going to do, Matt? Even start it now. No, don't wait till you get home. Do it right now. Anybody need a pen in the front row? I've got an extra one. There you go, sweetie. Father, even now, would you speak to my friends, my co-congregants here at Tri-Village, and would you give us portraits in our minds of the people you want us to be praying for this year? Oh, Lord, let them see faces. Make us diligent to never quit praying. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I 
share the history of having seen scores of people that are on my list over the last 30 years who've come to faith. May it be so for my brothers and sisters here as well. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, we love you, we love you.